give them another round of applause. Don't we have a great group of <laughs> actors and actresses doing these skits, which help add to the messages and in the sermons? Uh, Children's Mr. Junior Church. I'm really grateful for those that are doing, putting a lot of work into these skits. And, you know, that's exactly what we're going to look at today. In a moment, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, and we're going to go through verse 18, actually. So if you would turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, we're going to start at that here in just a moment, that says, do all things without grumbling. Do all things without grumbling. And that skit just drives the point home. There's a guy, his name was uh, Sir Leonard Wood. I'm sure you've heard of him. Sir Leonard Wood once visited the king of France. And the king was so pleased with him, he was invited for dinner the very next day. Sir Leonard went to the palace, and the king, meeting him in one of the halls, said, Why, Sir Leonard, I did not expect to see you. How is it that you are here? Did not your majesty invite me to dine with you, said the astonished guest. Yes, replied the king, but you did not answer my invitation. Then it was that Sir Leonard Wood uttered one of the choicest sentences of his life. He replied, a king's invitation is never to be answered, but to be obeyed. A king's invitation is never to be answered, but to be obeyed. And that's the same thing with us as Christians, you know. God calls us to a certain way of life, a certain way of living, and we are called to obey. We're called to obey. And I'm just reminded as I look down at some of my chicken scratch on my notes that I wanted to pray for the teachers and school workers today because a lot have already gone back. So we're gonna come back to this sermon, but let's give a word of prayer for those in the schools right now. Heavenly Father, I know that so many are going back to school this week. Some wait till after Labor Day. Some split it. As, uh, and we just lift them all up to you locally, statewide, nationally. We pray for safety for the students, the children, safety for the teachers, safety for the administrators, safety for the bus drivers, the volunteers, and all the above. I pray, Lord God, you'd keep them uh, safe uh, physically, keep them safe emotionally, Keep them safe spiritually. I pray there'll be peace in the schools so that teachers can actually teach and not have to deal with discipline problems the whole time. And I pray for Christian witnesses within the schools. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll probably have another special time for schools, uh, maybe Labor Day weekend or so, but I wanted to take that moment today. So, you know, a king's invitation is never to be answered, but to be obeyed. How are we doing with obeying the Lord? You know, we've been walking through Philippians, and we talk about obeying the Lord, and today we talk about letting our lives shine for Jesus. And I think oftentimes it's easier to obey the Lord in bigger matters than in heart matters. And oftentimes it's easier to obey maybe in not cussing someone out or giving them the number one sign when you're driving. But it's a lot harder to obey when it deals with grumbling and complaining or gossip. By the way, I don't think that most people mean to gossip. Sir, some might be really blatant, yeah, and they totally mean to gossip. They think a lot, they just mean to talk. 
You know, gossip technically means idle chit-chat, but that's not what the sin is. The sin in Proverbs about being a talebearer and things like that. But what we don't realize is when we share certain things that may not be ours to share, or we share something that's negative about someone else, then we hurt somebody else's image of the person, or we share something that's not, I don't even, maybe I don't even have first-hand information here. I'm sharing second-hand. You've heard me share, I heard a pastor share this once, and you've all heard it, but I, I really totally completely believe it's true, that every conversation really has four conversations. If I'm talking to Bobby, you know, there's what I'm saying, what I think I'm saying, what she's hearing, what she thinks she's hearing. And Bobby's perception would be her reality, and my perception is my reality. And then Bobby and I go, and we share that conversation with Blaine. Now we get eight conversations. Blaine, Blaine goes and shares it, and it goes on and on, and it was never meant to be gossip. But it becomes gossip, and that's where we got to watch it. And that's, again, why I say it's easy to obey God with certain big things. I haven't murdered anybody this week. Maybe we have with our words. I haven't been looking at pornography. Well, I'm teaching Sermon on the Mount right now in Sunday school. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed uh, adultery in your heart. Jesus takes it to a heart standard because the Pharisees, they thought they had it all together. And Jesus says, uh, no, you don't. We left off today where Jesus tells them, you gotta be a little better than the Pharisees and the scribes to get into heaven. That would have shocked the common people. The Pharisees and the scribes were the one putting these big burdens on the people, piling on the burdens. And everybody thought the Pharisees and the scribes had it right, but they only had it right on the external. What about Disrespect we disrespect somebody. How do we disrespect people? We might say, well, I haven't said anything disrespectful. Maybe you stood them up for an appointment though. Maybe you were extremely late. About respect. How are we doing with obeying the Lord? And, and as we look at today, Paul exhorts the Philippians to let their lives shine. Paul exhorts the Philippians to let their lives shine. And as we start this, we see Philippians 2, 12, and 13, because we got to put this in context, in the context of Philippians, in the context of the Bible. So if you look at verses 12 through 13, he says, therefore, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is absent from them. But he says, much more in my absence. You were obedient in my presence. Now as I'm absent, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We talked about that last week. It doesn't mean you're earning your salvation. We can't earn our salvation. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. God is working in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And we let God work out of us. We can't do what, what we're about to get into, Philippians 2.14, don't complain, do all things without grumbling and complaining. We can't do that on our own. We will try and fail on our own, but we aren't on our own. We have the Holy Spirit within us. I saw something, I'm gonna copy it. I don't think I shared it on a Sunday sermon, though I did Wednesday night Bible study. Somebody said, I find it amazing that we can send the Voyager space thing way out to the far parts of the galaxy and receive information from it. But we can't always get our Wi-Fi signal to work in our house. 
for our cell phone signal to work, right? I mean, I was right in Poland, going on a walk with our kids yesterday, looking up, trying to look up the library hours and could not get a signal. Yet, we can send a, a, a space thing to, the, to, to Pluto and study it. I watched a show about it. Have you ever seen it, though? You're looking at your phone or maybe your computer, maybe your computer Wi-Fi can't work or something. And it's so frustrating. You can't get it to work. You can't get a connection. You're trying to make a phone call. You're trying to respond to an email. You're trying to do something and you can't get a connection. It's dead. And then you reset the router, you reset your phone, you do whatever it has, it has to be done. And it's like it's alive again. It's connected. It's live. Or maybe you've had a power outage in your home and the power's gone. And when the power comes back on, it's like, wow, it just came alive. It's suddenly alive. That's what happens to us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Without the Holy Spirit, we're like a cell phone with no data connection, no signal, a computer with no Wi-Fi connection, a house with no power. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we become Christians, we have power, And it's not amongst ourselves. It's not from ourselves. It's from God Almighty. We have power. We are connected to the Lord of heaven and earth. So we talk about living the Christian life. We talk about not doing certain things or doing certain things because it's both, by the way. It's don't do certain things and do other things. Don't complain, don't gossip, don't lie, don't steal. Do love, do forgive, do rejoice, do be thankful, do encourage. It's don't and it's do. But we don't do it of our own nature. We do that from the Holy Spirit that's within us. We're never alone. So let's look at Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, Verse 14 is a command. It's very convicting. Does he say do some things? Does he say do some things without grumbling? All things without. No, do all things without complaining. It's very difficult. First, you need to know that Paul likely has in mind uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5. Deuteronomy 32, 5, in which the Israelite people were described as a crooked and twisted generation. They grumbled and complained against God. I have a pastor friend who says the Israelites wandered in the wilderness because of grumbling and complaining. They grumbled and complained against God and God said, enough, you'll grumble and complain for 40 years until you all die off in the wilderness, except for a couple of you, Moses and Joshua. The rest died. Well, Caleb stayed around too. And actually, Moses didn't go over now they think. So, you know, they all died off in the wilderness, except a couple of them, Joshua and Caleb. That's all, because of grumbling and complaining. It's likely the Apostle Paul has, has that passage in mind. You know, we had a men's breakfast yesterday, and it was just a really, really, really good men's breakfast. Uh, they're, they're all very good. I enjoy all the speakers. They're all wonderful. And yesterday was the first men's breakfast we've had since May, because in June, we wanted to endorse the Father's Day cookout, so we didn't have men's breakfast. But you know, yesterday the speaker came from another church, Grace Fellowship up in Niles area, gave a powerful message, and he talked about the NFL combine. Now, NFL is the main sport I watch. I watch football to keep up my man card. You talk to me about baseball. I don't know. The only thing I know about baseball is it's such a slow sport, you can do your devotions while you watch the game. It's very <laughs> slow. I know some of you love baseball, and that's great. I watch soccer when my daughters are playing and, and basketball for them. 
Uh, but football, I just really, really like football. And it does keep my man card too. But the NFL Combine, they have certain tests they do. Every year, they go to this NFL Combine. And the NFL Combine is where, and I know very little bit about it, so some of you can correct me uh, later on. But they go, and the players have to show off their speed and their strength. They also test their intelligence, and they do different tests. And there's one test at the NFL Combine that basically they're trying to see if they're coachable. Are they coachable? This player might have all types of gifts. They can sack, they can run, they can catch, they can whatever. Maybe they're smart, they can read a play, but if they're not coachable, they're not, they're not good for the team. And I've heard before of certain players that seem great on the field and you wonder what's going on with the team and I hear people say, well, I've heard they're not really good in the locker room. They're not good with the other players. They're not, they're not able to hear the rebuke from the coach. They're not here. They're able to be corrected by the coach. They have to be coachable. And that's the same thing with us as Christians. We have to be coachable, coachable from the Holy Spirit working within us, coachable from the Holy Spirit using the word of God to work within us, coachable from the Holy Spirit using the body of Christ to correct us, right? Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Are we humble, approachable, and teachable? Humble, approachable, and teachable. And that comes from those we work with. That comes from those we come to church with. That comes from the Holy Spirit working within us. It comes from the word of God. Can we respond from that correction and think, ah, there might be some truth to it. Even if somebody might say something the wrong way, there might be some truth in it. Even though we talk about not grumbling and complaining, there might be some truth in it. Somebody could say something the wrong way, but we have to analyze, is there truth to it? I'm reading a book slash listening to it. It's audible with Kindle. Pastor Critic. It's about receiving and giving criticism. It's a very short book, like 160 some pages. And receiving and giving criticism. And obviously one thing is examine it. Regardless if somebody says it the wrong way, there could be truth to it. We gotta, we gotta take that seriously. We have to be coachable. We have to be humble, approachable, and teachable. Ephesians 5.21 says to submit to one another and fear and reverence to Christ. We can, we, we can be a leader, but still be mutually submissive. And our culture is hurting for this right now. Proverbs 19.11 is a good thing to overlook a sin. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives us. These are scriptural commands, scriptural exhortations, and our culture is hurting for Christians to live by them. So that means that even when we do bring the rightful complaint, not grumbling and stuff, but the rightful complaint, or when we receive the complaint, we give and receive, we give and receive the complaint, the grumbling, the whatever it is, hopefully it's not grumbling then, the complaint, the criticism in a different manner than the world might. We might give criticism with an attitude of love. Ephesians 4 also says, speak the truth in love, with an attitude of gentleness, with an attitude of encouraging, with an attitude that it's for the better of the other person. And we receive it without flying off the handle, without fighting back, even if it's given in the wrong ways. Are we coachable? Are we teachable? Are we humble? Are we approachable? 
In Philippians 2, uh, 14, it's possible that Paul is also meaning don't complain against God. But also this has to do with a negative attitude that we can have so much, right? We can just have such a negative attitude. We can walk out the door and start complaining about the weather. I'm as guilty as anyone, right? Sometimes it's just small talk. Sometimes we may not mean to complain. We might have a good motivation. We're just making talk, but we can just have a negative attitude. We need that glass half full that Bobby Bill has from the skit, right? We need to have that optimistic attitude, You know, sometimes, as I've already alluded to, we have a rightful need to share something. And your teachers, your government officials, your pastor, your leadership, your your family, they need to hear that sometimes. But sometimes we're just overly negative. You know, uh, Paul could also be addressing right here unnecessary arguing and unnecessary disputing. It happens all the time, right? In 1 Corinthians 6, Christians were taking other Christians to court. And get this, Paul says, you are not to take other Christians to court. Do you not understand that Christians will judge the angels? Paul says, why would we as Christians with the light of the world, with the wisdom of God, why would we be going to unbelievers for judgment? Now that's dealing with civil disputes. It's not dealing with criminal disputes. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, Paul writes about their persecution. This was given to a persecuted church. They had every reason to be arguing unnecessarily. They had every reason to be negative. Paul is in prison. They have every reason to be negative. And Paul seems to be encouraging them to optimism. He encourages them to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Look out for the needs of others before your own. And then guess what? You will be light. So first, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Again, that doesn't mean there's no opportunity, no, no times when you really need to share a, 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 a complaint, a criticism, a, a constructive criticism, but not in a grumbling, disputing attitude. And then look at Philippians 2.15. We shine. Then we shine. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world. When you do all things without grumbling and disputing, then you can shine. And by the way, remember the context. When you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, and you do all things without grumbling and disputing, then you can shine. We can't shine if we're not letting the Holy Spirit that's inside of us work out of us. We can't shine when we're constantly grumbling and disputing. He says you'll be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. This doesn't mean perfect. It means there are no continual outward lifestyle sins. Blameless describes a life that cannot be criticized because of sin or evil. Innocent describes a life that is pure, unmixed, and unadulterated with sin, much like high-quality metal without any alloy. He says you'll be children of God or basically followers of God. We are showing that we are different. We have Jesus inside of us, right? David Platt shares this great illustration. It's either in his book, Follow Me or Radical, both about the Christian living. He says, if you were meeting with me for breakfast and you waited and I didn't show up, Say we were meeting at 9 a.m. 
you're waiting and I didn't show up. And it's 9.15 and I'm not there. And it's 9.30 and I'm not there. And it's 9.45 and it's not there. And at 10 a.m. I get there and I say, I am so sorry that I'm late. You will not believe what happened to me. It was raining cats and dogs outside. I ended up with a flat tire. I got out of the car to change the flat tire. And, a, and one truck drives by and splashes me in the water. And then another semi veers off the road and runs me right over. And I get up, change the flat tire, and drive to our meeting. Wouldn't you expect me to look different? I've been ran over by a semi after being splashed with water and all that stuff. And the point is, as Christians, we are born again. We died with Christ. We were buried. There's an image there in Colossians chapter 2 as well as Romans 6. We were buried with Christ in baptism. The old has gone. The new has come. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. The son of God who died and gave himself as a ransom for me. We have died with Christ. We live again and we should be different. We should be different and we can shine like lights in the world. We are children of God, even though we, were, we are in a messed up world. And Jesus said, uh, Paul says, inspired by Jesus, you'll be lights in the world. When you work out your salvation and allow God to work in you to make you more holy, you'll be light in the world. You'll be light to the world. You know, people used to use the stars to know where they were. People should be able to look to Christians as examples of integrity. They should be able to look to us as examples of integrity. But if we're condoning things in other people, like vocally, which we do often, we'll say things like, I know they're hard to get along with, but they have to be that way because no, we should love, we should be full of grace and full of truth. We can't condone it. By the way, at the risk of getting a little too direct, we do that with our politicians all the time. I know they act this way and their rhetoric is this way, but they have to be that way because the press or because the other party. There is no excuse. Morality is absolute. Right is right, wrong is wrong. They should be able to look to Christians as examples of integrity. And we will mess up. We will still sin. And we should be the first to own up to it and repent. And in Philippians 2.16, Paul says to hold to the word of life. Look at it, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul can be proud that he worked with them. He can rejoice as he is prepared to die a martyr's death. That is what it means in the very next verse. Look at verse 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, it appears that he was released from prison, but he was prepared not to be released from prison. He was prepared to die a martyr's death. And he says, even if that's about to happen, you can be glad and you can rejoice with me. Paul is ready to be completely spent, completely spent for the gospel. That's what a drink offerings were. Drink offerings were the idea of taking something holy and pouring it out to the Lord. That's what they did. They would pour out this holy offering to the Lord. And Paul was willing to be completely spent for the Lord. That's what he's talking about right here. So as Christians, we're called to live a different way. And we do live that way. We shine like light. We shine like light. Now, I have two quick illustrations here. There's a movie called The Tuxedo. Jackie Chan was in it. It was made in like 2002. I saw it with uh, my beloved before we were married. And 
Ja- uh, Jackie Chan played a taxi driver. His job was to service customers. And he, and he wound up becoming the driver for a guy named Clark Devlin. Clark Devlin was a top secret agent. Of course, secret to successful meetings, top secret agents, like Mission Impossible. I want to see that one. Anyways, during one scene in the movie, the car comes under attack, and Clark Devlin becomes critically wounded in the attack. Mr. Devlin tells Jackie Chan to put on a tuxedo located in the car. And that tuxedo will give him extreme extraordinary power. The injured passenger told Jackie Chan that. Jackie Chan puts on the tuxedo. And when he puts on the tuxedo, he is clothed with extraordinary power. He can walk on walls and do flips and, and do all this special stuff. And here's the point. When you and I put on Jesus, when we put on Jesus Christ, and when we wear his character and his glory, we share in his greatness. Don't think you're going to be great if you're not willing to put on Jesus's jacket, which is always, Jesus's jacket is always a jacket of servanthood. If you really wanna be somebody in time and eternity, ask yourself if you are serving others more than they are serving you. Do we come with that Philippians 2, 3, and 4 servant attitude? Then one last application with that. I'm kind of scheduled. I think about schedules in my head and how I can get things done. I once watched a documentary about Garth Brooks, the country singer, Garth Brooks. I don't even know if he's really country, but anyways, Garth Brooks. And his daughters were being interviewed and one of them said, sometimes I wish I could just be one of his fans because he treats his fans so well. In other words, she saw how good, and she loves her father. She's not saying he's not a loving father, but she saw how good he would treat his fans or how well I think would be the correct verbiage. He treats his fans And she wanted to know what that was like to be one of his fans. Mercedes came in my office last week and I was working on things as usual and she's kind of hanging out here because they haven't started school yet. And she comes in and and she gets on the, lays on the couch and says, I have a friend. And she has this question, what are your views about this particular biblical subject? And I thought, I need to set my schedule aside right now because if I can't be here to talk to her about her theological questions, or in this case, it was had to do with a, a church theological subject from 1 Timothy chapter two, then I'm not a good pastor or a father. But oftentimes, here's what happens. We get so busy. We have no margin in our time. We're just so busy, busy people, busy, 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 busy. And that's the root of why we end up lashing out at people. That's the root why we get so upset driving when they're driving so slow. We don't know what they're going through. Maybe they just said goodbye to a relative at the hospital and they're just in a daze driving home. That's why, you know, we don't know what's going on with other people's life, but we are just so busy. Do we get agitated? We get angry. We're hardest on those we love. And I think one thing is part of the first step in obedience to Christ in submitting and surrendering to the Lordship of Christ is allowing him to be the Lord of our schedule. There's a book about finding quiet by J.P. Moreland, a Christian philosopher, and he writes exactly about that. Oftentimes we think we're in control of our schedule. James chapter five says, if the Lord wills, we should pray, if the Lord wills, we'll do such and such. But we think we can cram more and more and more and more in our time, and we need to take off the Superman cape. When I was installed as pastor at my last church, the regional minister gave the message, looked at me and he said in part of his installation message, look, I don't see no Superman cape on you. Don't be a super pastor. You can't do everything. 
If I'm called to this, I'm not called to that. If I'm called to that, then I'm probably not called to this. We can't do everything. And the more we try to do everything, the more it's gonna hurt us with our anxiety, fear, anger, and frustration. And we're really making an idol of our time and of our life, thinking we can be all things to all people. And only Jesus can do that. So we have to think about that. So I surrender those thoughts to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time to deliver your word to your people. Lord God, you know my own heart, how oftentimes I grapple with this myself, trying to do way too much and trying to get way too busy and then getting frustrated when the computer won't work or something like that, or the cell phone, I can't send the signal because I can't get the data and I can't send the email or whatever. Lord God, you are Lord and there is no other. You are Lord and there is no other. May we all submit and surrender to your will. May we take this passage, this scripture to heart. May we take this passage, this scripture to heart. Surrender to you. That we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing you are working in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. You are working in us. May we let that flow out of us. And all we have to do really is spend time in your word and prayer, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and hear from God and obey. Hear from God and obey. And part of that obedience is spelled out right here. We do all things without grumbling or disputing. We don't have unnecessary arguments those constant, unnecessary, negative arguments, maybe necessary complaints. And I pray the Holy Spirit guide us when we do complain and how we do complain, but not just constant grumbling and disputing. We get a positive attitude knowing that you are just an amazing God and you're within us. And we can shine like light. We can be a witness to this lost and dying world. Lord Jesus, help us being a witness this week. And Lord God, as always, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day when they confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as the one and only Savior, trust in you and commit to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Obviously, during this closing song, as always, the altars are open. We would love for the opportunity to pray with you. Maybe you have some heavy decisions that you're thinking about. Come forward, let us pray with you together. Maybe, uh, maybe somebody's looking for a job. Let us pray with you. Maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's something else. Let us pray with you right now. This all stands with